thank you for tuning in to the Elevate Podcast. Whether you stop by to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, we've got another great guest this episode. We've been on a short hiatus, but we've got a quite a few episodes stacked up to in 2020 strong so stay tuned for the future episodes this one i've got a former college athlete herself you can find her on instagram at lauren nicole johnson on twitter at underscore lauren johnson underscore she is of no relation follow her on her social media for great insights just as she shares plenty of in this episode Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Mental Skills Coordinator for the New York Yankees, Lauren Johnson. Awesome. Well, and first of all, I just want to say thank you so much. I'm like, so excited to be on your podcast well we are excited to have you um i know you were a college athlete uh, how did you get from college athlete to mental skills coordinator for the new york yankees well that's an interesting story um, and one i'd be happy to tell um so i played soccer since i was like five years old just fell absolutely in love with the sport um it offered an equal dose of challenge um and uh and fun and so I ended up playing in, in college and absolutely loved it. And it was my third game into my senior year. I just come back from my fourth concussion and third game in, I received my fifth and I knew at the moment that it happened. It's like, I, I know what that feeling feels like. And so I come off the field and uh, I end up being checked out by my neurologist. And he pretty much says after they confirmed, yes, you have one. He said, you know, Lauren, it's just not safe anymore. You know, if you, if you want to remember your name at 50, I suggest that you stop. So I had to make that difficult decision. And um, since I had a little bit of extra time on my hands, I decided to take on um, a new elective course. And I ended up taking a course in sports psychology, fell completely in love with it and went on to get my master's degree in performance psychology, which is just a, a broad term for sports psych. And after my, after I graduated, I had two job offers on the table. I had one um, that, that it was interesting because it would take six months to get placed for. And then the other one, uh, you know, I could be hired right away, but I had ended up turning down one of them and taking the one that took six months to get placed. Okay. And so I take this job and, uh, and six months goes by and I don't hear anything. And so finally I reach out to this person and I said like, Hey, just checking to see like when I'm going to get my placement. And that's when I get the email back that said, sorry, jobs no longer available. And I mean, I was heartbroken here. I am coming out of grad school with two job offers on the line. And now I have none. The other job, I can't go back. It's been six months. They've already, they've already fulfilled the position. And so here I was, like, I, I reached out, I used every contact I could. There was just nothing available at the time. So I realized, well, I, I got to make money somehow. So I got a job at Starbucks. And so I start working at Starbucks. And, um, and I'm one day, like, changed the trajectory of my whole life. I'm working the drive-thru. And when you're working the drive-thru, your job is not to make the drinks. Your job is to, you know, pass them out, get their money, and have a conversation if their drink is taking a while. So this one gentleman's drink was taking a while and 
we sparked up a conversation and he asked me, he's like, uh, so Lauren, are you uh, going to school right now? And I was like, no, actually I, I just finished. And he was like, awesome. What did you get your degree in? And I like proudly told him performance psychology. And he just starts laughing at me mm. like full on belly laughing. And I was so confused that I finally had to ask him. I said, what, what's so funny? And he goes, Oh, you got one of those degrees you'll never use. And my mouth just dropped. I was so upset. I had somebody else give him his drink. And the rest of the day, I just kept ruminating on this experience. And I just kept getting more mad and more pissed off and more frustrated. And I was like mad that I was mad. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, like, you don't even know who this person is. Why does his opinion matter? Right. But that's when I had kind of this light bulb moment. And I realized I wasn't mad because he was rude, even though he was. Sure. I was mad because he was right. Mm. Here I am in a position that a lot of, you know, athletes or students or, you know, uh, CEOs or what well, you name it, they come to me for, they get stuck, they hit resistance, they hit adversity. And I was doing the very opposite of what I would tell them to do. Yeah. I was sitting comfortable, not making any progress towards my goal. And so I realized I had to have a hard conversation with myself and look in the mirror and go, how the hell are you going to be a good mental coach if you can't take your own advice? Yeah. That evening, I Googled how to start your own consulting company. I had no idea what I was doing. And I started my own consulting company. Every single day, I grinded. I would cold call. I would reach out to people, all the while still working at Starbucks. And I ended up building up enough clientele to be able to quit Starbucks. And nice. a year later, I got the opportunity to interview with the Yankees. And I got the job. Awesome. I love that story. I'd heard a little bit about the Starbucks, so I'm really glad you threw that in. Because um, I was going to ask you, those kind of, while it might just be a person that drives through a drive-through that has this, you know, one remark, um, but it triggered a lot of introspection and thought, right? And mm -hmm. it seems like you tell the story while he kind of, you know, had someone else give him his coffee and go on with his day. Um, it created something positive or a spiral for you. Can you talk about why just maybe not those individuals that are haters or randomly come into our, our days, but why just taking that moment of introspection, even in a moment of discomfort are important? Yeah, well, it, it's so important because the, what I want to know is why am I uncomfortable, right? A lot of times we just take our feelings for, as facts, but like, your feelings don't always reveal the facts. Like sometimes we have to understand, understand what you're feeling or maybe, sorry, not what you're feeling, but why, like why, what caused this? What is the root cause of this? I realized that it was my insecurity. The fact that I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. He pointed out something that I wasn't willing to look in the mirror uh, for myself until he pointed it out to me. And the interesting part about, about our feelings is they can really give us uh, they can kind of become red flags and in a good way and a bad way, right? They can become red flags to knowing uh, what we're willing to take, what we're not willing to take. They can become really good indicators of our boundary. But then also they can reveal things to us that maybe we haven't been willing to look at ourselves. And those are what I call our blind spots. Yeah. And so I realized that he revealed a blind spot of mine that I hadn't been willing to reveal myself. 
So I think it's really important that to take that introspection and to ask questions, not just take your feelings and just respond or react to them, but taking your time and then choosing how you're going to respond. Yeah, I like that. There's uh, I'd love to know what that guy thought because now I, I got a business degree and I, now I coach and do mental skills. So uh, <laughs> like, you know, um, to his own. But uh, what about mental skills is currently kind of fascinating you or captivating your attention? Um, maybe it's something that you see trending that you want to debunk. I don't know. What, uh, what's been kind of captivating your attention when it comes to mental skills and mental tools? I think the thing that I, I really subscribe to is the idea of accepting our reality and choosing our response. I think that there is a, some misconception, not everybody, but there is some misconception that, you know, you either have to be positive or you're, or you're negative, or you have to be, uh, you have to be perfect or, uh, or you have flaws. And the thing is that all those things exist, like stress exists, discomfort exists, all of these things exist in the world. Pressure exists. So to live a life without those things is completely unrealistic. And so what I, what I like to do instead is choose to build our relationship with those things that inherently exist, choosing our response to them, choosing how we're going to manage them versus trying to eliminate them completely. Because I believe that when you look at uh, an amateur athlete and an athlete that has mastered their craft, we see the ups and downs, every athlete still has them, no matter what level they're at. The difference yeah. is how much the gap is between their recovery time of the successes or the failures. And, and both can create time to recover. Sometimes we, are, we succeed and we go, cool, take my foot off the gas. And then we, we dive down a hole and then we create failure. And then we go, crap, we need to get it together. The difference is I think a professional athlete and athletes that are really good at what they do is they're able to respond better to adversity, to discomfort, even to success. Yeah. I, I maybe kind of leading into this question, uh, that separation and that gap in recovery. Uh, I've heard you speak about this on another podcast, but can you talk about maybe how important consistency is in developing that ability you just spoke about? Yeah. So consistency is, it's really important. Um, and I want, I want people to understand what that, what consistency actually is. Consistency is not perfection. So let's not get confused with perfection. Um, I have a lot of athletes that, that struggle with that. The moment they make a mistake, their consistency goes to crap. And it's like, hold on, mistakes are part of it. Now, what's our response? It's our response that helps our consistency continue. Like you had just kind of mentioned, there's a, there's a nice little marriage of those two things. And so there is this great rule where you can say, you know, make one, you can make a mistake once, that's normal. But when you make a, make a mistake twice, or twice in a row, now we're creating a habit in the opposite, opposite direction. We're being consistent in the opposite direction. And so a good rule of thumb is don't make the same mistake twice. If you, if you don't adhere to your uh, nutritional program, then the next meal, make sure you are. If you miss a workout that day, make sure the next day you don't do that. And so when you do that, when you hold yourself to this standard, you have to understand that the only time that we can we have any effect over is right now. If you made a mistake yesterday, yeah, does that suck? Sure. It doesn't feel like crap. Yeah, maybe. But today you can choose to do something different if you, if you want to. 
but you don't have to be who you've been. You can choose to be who you want to be right now, this very second. So I think great athletes, they don't dwell on those little mistakes. They're able to bounce back and go, okay, well, I didn't do it yesterday, but I'm going to do it again today. And so yeah. when we do that more often than not, our consistency is going to work in the right direction as opposed to against us. I love the uh, I'm a big proponent of the uh, never miss two in a row or never, never let it get to two in a row. Just like you said. And you ever, have you ever heard the, the old Seinfeld story about the comic, the failing comic that got advice from oh, Seinfeld? I apologize. Yes, I have. So it's got, a, yeah, I love that. Where he just basically was like, I write a joke every day and I never miss two days in a row. That's how I became a great comic. And uh, it, was, it was the essence of the story. So be in New York, I, you know, had to throw in a Seinfeld, you I love know, it. You know with, with, for, for George and his people. So, um, um, what is you talked about mistakes and failure and shorten that recovery time what is maybe one of the biggest misconceptions you see with getting athletes to deal with failure and just people in general <laughs> yeah um that you shouldn't make any i think that's the biggest misconception um is that as you get better you you fail less and i'd actually argue that that actually is the opposite is that as you get better, you have, you have opportunity to fail more. And I think it's not about fail. It's not, it's not failure that makes you bad. I think that's another misconception is that failure makes you bad. Well, right. I understand that success is really important, but what you do to get to success is more important. For, for instance, all results are not the result of good things. You can do everything wrong and still get a good result. You can do everything right and still get a bad result. And so results are not, they don't tell the whole story. So what I care about is focusing more on quality reps versus results. What are the reps? How are you doing with the reps you're putting in? Look more at the details of that. I think that is way more important to me. Um, it's often something that happens when athletes come up to me and they say they're in a slump. We go down, we get down to their reps, what their reps look like. Uh -huh. And that becomes their new definition of success. Because when we are so focused on that end result, a failure will cause you to quit. For sure. Getting punched in the face will cause you to stay down and yeah. it will cause you to back away. But the fact is you're going to get punched in the face and you've got to know how you're going to respond to that. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's two sides of confidence. And I heard this um, great analogy by Justin Sua, one of my really good friends. And I love it because I think that it, it explains these two sides of confidence that I think often get forgotten about, especially when success and failure are involved, is that confidence is like a bird. And a bird lands on a branch, not because of its confidence in the branch, but in its confidence and its ability to fly. And so sometimes you're going to land on, you're going to do everything right. You're going to think you picked the right branch. You think you did the right thing and it's still going to break. But your confidence is not your ability to choose the right branch. It's also in your ability to be able to handle it when it breaks. And so that's where I think it really comes from is like when you're failing, it's not necessarily the failing I care about with my athletes. It's about how you respond to, to it when you fail that I care about. Yeah. It's a great analogy. Um, when it comes to mental skills and tools, one of the things I think, uh, I think for everybody out there is you hear about this great thing. Yes, that would help me in this situation. And then that moment comes again and we forget to use that tool. Um, what are some ways that we can set up triggers or things to remind us to access those, some of those tools? Is there some little tricks or things that you try to teach and 
when they might be getting emotionally caught up in, in the competition or something or overwhelmed uh, that can trigger, oh my gosh, I have a new tool for this. Let's give that a try. Yeah. So a, a couple of things. The first one is um, it's mental skills are like anything else. They're not just, it's not a light switch. You can't just flip it on when you need it. Um, it has to be practiced and you have to put in the reps to be able to use them or to, yeah. to reap the benefits of the strength of them. And so I think that the first thing would be, how are you practicing them? How are you practicing your response? Uh, maybe there is a situation that continues to come up. Well, we need to be intentional about using that situation. And that starts with identifying the situation and then deciding your plan. What's our contingency plan? If this happens, then I'm going to choose to do this. And so you can practice this throughout life. It doesn't just have to be in your sport. And I explained this actually, I was talking to one of my athletes about this the other day, is that true mastery is not just mastering the skill in baseball, but being able to master the mental skill in your entire life. That's yeah. when you use it freely. And so um, maybe you want to become, you know, more patient at the plate or you want to be sticking to your process, you know, when you're in the batter's box. Well, then how can we stick to our process in the morning? How can you win your morning the same way you would win in the batter's box? So as we do that, there's this transferable skills that can be used, not just when you're playing a baseball game, but also when you need to get up at 5 a.m. or when you want to accomplish something in the morning. And so I would say that you one, sorry, situation, two, develop your plan. Three, you can also develop some sort of, you know, routine around it, but, uh, but you can't change anything you're not aware of. So if you're not even noticing when this is happening, the first step would actually be noticing. Once you yeah. notice, then you can add what skill you're going to input when you notice it. I love how you brought up to the, just because it's not at the plate, practicing patience somewhere else, the, the different context I had. Uh, a friend of mine on this podcast a while back, he had gone through Navy SEAL and Green Bray training and he's done these ultra things. And we were talking about, you know, what is mental toughness? And he said, you know, I used to think it was some of those things, being able to go through th these things. But then, you know, I see something I disagree with on Facebook and it throws me into a tizzy for the day. And he's like, am I really mentally tough? And I, it was just like, you know, just because I can run forever or go through training, I can't take this discomfort I'm feeling through social media right now. And it had him question it. And I just love that his, it was more, you know, if I'm going to be mentally tough there, why can't I be mentally tough in these moments that should be probably a little less challenging for us because they're more routine. So awesome yeah. stuff. Um, the little things. Um, I spent about half a decade working in the front office of the White Sox um, in my early 20s. And one of my favorite things was to go watch the teams warm up and just be an observer uh, of kind of these elite athletes. The New York Yankees always kind of uh, had a different aura about them when they came. It wasn't just the beard shaving, but uh, there was precision with their warmups and things that I observed that other clubs weren't doing um, at that kind of uh, time. What are some other characteristics do you think, and I know we don't talk about the team, but things that teams can embrace that strengthen the group? Okay, so when you're talking about this, I immediately go to like, like you said at the very beginning, the little things, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I talked about this again with one of my athletes the other day, and it was, um, I always say this, that the, the little things, the little things matter, so much more than the big things. And I'll tell you why. The big things, that while they're the obvious ones, the small things are the important ones. And the big things, 
they're, they have an immediate consequence and so, or an immediate uh, reward. And our brain is really driven by rewards. And so when we have something that's a big consequence or reward, we get really motivated by it. Now, the reason that those are the obvious ones, they're easier to do, they're easier to drum up motivation to, uh, to go ahead and put the energy towards. Now, the opposite is true for little things. The little things, not only are they not obvious, but their impact isn't seen immediately. Their impact is seen over time. And James Clear explains this in his book. And he says, if a plane takes off in LA and, it, and its destination is New York, and it turns its nose three degrees south, it will land in Washington, DC. Now, the, the plane moving its nose just three degrees south at the very beginning only changes about a couple feet to a couple of yards. But the change ex or expanded across the entire United States is huge, several, several miles. And so I think that this is, this is the same thing for the little things is that yes, the Yankees, we have a lot of, you know, little nuances that we subscribe to because although the big things are important, the little things are the most important because they, their impact is not seen over time. And what we believe is that if you can present yourself well, if you can show up and you're organized, if you have a plan that over time, there's going to be a separator between somebody who doesn't show up and have themselves together, someone who isn't organized and someone who isn't have a plan. And while may think, oh, well, that's so minute. Who cares? Right. Well, at the major league level, winning is minute. They, it mm -hmm. is a small margin. And so we are going to cover our bases and we are going to make sure we are taking care of every freaking margin that we have control over. And so I believe that when you, when you um, incorporate these things within your team, that you are establishing habits of excellence. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. The uh, focus. Um, working with a lot of student athletes and because uh, all of us in this distracted day and age that we are, are living in. Um, what are some ways, maybe they're out of context or suggestions that you can help create a greater focus so that when you are at that plate in that moment, you've done all the things to put you in the best possible position? Well, I always think that's the wrong question to ask. Um, I actually think the better question is how do you refocus? Because I think that yeah. again, again, like when we talk about reality, the reality is you're going to be unfocused at some point. We're human. We're, we're built to be distracted. Yeah, we do. Our, <laughs> right? Yeah. Our brain is, it's, it's a survival instinct that when something is out of place, our brain tries to focus on it to make sure it's not a threat. And so I actually think that um, while we can improve our focus, I think that if you kind of look at it just slightly different, it does the same thing. Yeah. And so the question is, how do we refocus when we become unfocused? And so I like to use this analogy of a ship in a harbor, okay? And our attention is like a ship in a harbor. And a ship without an anchor is subject to moving when the wind blows and it's subject to being taken out to sea. Sure. Yet a ship with an anchor, while it may move, it's not going to move very far. And so we can create what we call like kind of our, our imaginary anchors. And by anchoring our brain back to the present moment, anchoring our mind and our attention back to the moment we're in when it starts to drift. And so there's three kinds of anchors we can use. Number one, we can use our breath where you just simply, you notice your brain kind of uh, drifting and you just simply take a deep breath in, being super intentional about that breath and then bringing yourself back to the moment you're in. And then you can redirect your focus. 
Two, you can ask yourself these three questions. What can I hear? What can I see? And what can I feel? Mm. Those three questions, if you can answer them, you've just anchored yourself back in the moment that you're in. And the third one is asking yourself, what's important now? Again, if you can answer that in the moment, you're back in the present. And so when we do that, we are creating um, our response to being unfocused and therefore enhancing our ability to focus when it matters. Like the options, because it seems like everyone's trending on you have to breathe. And <laughs> while it's, I, it's a useful I, tool, I love it. Um, I just got a text yesterday saying, Lauren, can you give me some advice on how to anchor my intention and not breathing? <laughs> I was like, literally the text I just got. So yeah, I think that there are multiple ways. And I think there are ways beyond that. But those sure. are kind of the three that I find, um, you know, my athletes and, and my clients seem to like the most. Yeah. And I think, you know, being out in the field versus out the plate versus in the dugout, you might use a different tool yeah. to, to, to rebring that focus. So um, last question I always love to ask is how do you define success? Hmm, this is a great, great question. Um, I define success as being your best regardless of circumstance. And what I think that means, I think that means something different regardless of the situation that you're in. Um, I think that that means, uh, you know, your best may change from day to day. Your best may change from time to time, but I don't necessarily see success as a result. I see success as something within our control. Results are not always within our control. So your ability to do, to show up, your ability to do what you do on a daily basis, that to me, is success not um not the results